Good morning. Pastor Dave Davis continues to recover from COVID and with a phrase that's all too familiar this week, out of an abundance of caution, uh, he asked me to come and preach today. And so um, even when the circumstances are unfortunate, it's always a joy to be with you uh, and to worship with you. Our scripture lesson is part of a series that we are continuing at Breaking Bread, looking at uh, women in Exodus. And today we're going to hear about Moses' mother, Jochebed. And so I invite you to listen to uh, this passage of scripture, our Old Testament reading, which is from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for God's word. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of today's sermon is The God of Hidden Choices. The God of Hidden Choices. I grew up in a family that was obsessed with science fiction and fantasy literature. My brothers and I spent a lot of Saturdays with Return of the Jedi in our VCR during our childhood, smashing Han Solo and Darth Vader action figures against each other. My dad read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings to me before bed every night. My mom used to chase us around the house with her very own special pack from Ghostbusters, her toy backpack and gun to catch ghosts. We'd run through the house screaming as Slimer. And as we got to high school, my brothers, William, Joseph, and I devoured books like Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles and deeper cuts like A Canicle for Leibowitz, as well as classic films like Blade Runner, Alien, and 2001, A Space Odyssey. There was something missing, though, from this hodgepodge canon that my brothers and I cobbled together. None of the works I mentioned are by women authors, directors, or artists. And so this year, when I realized this, I've been working really hard to address that deficit. Right now, I'm working my way through Octavia Butler's dystopian climate change novel, Parable of the Sower. This summer, I was reading alongside some of our students in Princeton Presbyterians the meditative sci-fi masterpieces of Becky Chambers' Monk and Robot series. But my favorite 
has been the undisputed genius of American sci-fi literature, the author Ursula K. Le Guin. It's easy at first glance to fit sci-fi and fantasy into a small box to dismiss it as kids' stuff with all its lasers and magic swords and made-up names, but in an essay in her book, No Time to Spare, Le Guin gets at the heart of great science fiction and fantasy literature with the simple statement, it doesn't have to be the way it is. That's what science fiction and fantasy have to say to us. It doesn't have to be the way it is. Le Guin writes, quote, It doesn't have to be the way it is is a playful statement, made in the context of fiction with no claim to being real, yet it is a subversive statement. Subversion, Le Guin writes, doesn't suit people who, feeling their adjustment to life has been successful, want things to go on just as they are, or people who need support from authority, assuring them that things are as they have to be. Fantasy not only asks, what if things didn't go on just as they do, but demonstrates what they might be like if they went otherwise, thus gnawing at the very foundation of the belief that things have to be the way they are, end quote. It doesn't have to be the way it is, is the powerful rallying cry of women in the book of Exodus. As I mentioned, Princeton Presbyterians is in the middle of this series on women in Exodus, and last week, Len preached about the midwives Shifra and Pua. The story goes that when the Egyptian pharaoh saw that the enslaved Hebrew people were becoming a large nation and threatening their stability, he demanded that the midwives kill any male Hebrew children at the moment of childbirth. But Shifra and Pua, leaders of the midwife guild in Egypt, refused. They made excuses, they slow walked the order, they bungled the rollout, they failed to comply. Over and over again, they invented new ways to resist this cruel edict from Pharaoh and thus saved the lives of many children. When Pharaoh learned over time that he'd been deceived, his policies became even more violent, more demanding, demanding that Hebrew children be thrown into the Nile River. Exodus tells us that at least one woman, whose name we later learn is Jochebed, refuses to obey. When she and her husband Amram have a son, she faces this impossible choice. Give him up to the authorities or try to raise this little boy in secret and endanger the whole family. So Jochebed takes Pharaoh's order and twists it. Pharaoh said that all male babies have to go into the Nile River, but Jochebed knows that Pharaoh didn't exactly say how. She says to herself, it doesn't have to be the way it is. She makes a basket for her baby, a teva in Hebrew. Robert Alter explains that it's the same word for ark from the story of Noah's ark in Genesis. She carefully waterproofs it and adds a covering so that he'll be safe. Jochebed places her newborn baby in the basket, this ark, and sends her daughter Miriam to follow it as she sets it on the water. Under the pressure of extreme, cruel demands, Jochebed makes a choice deep in her heart, 
a hidden choice from Pharaoh and his edicts, to use all her creativity, love, and trust in God to help this baby survive. It's a heartbreaking, desperate choice. Jochebed lets go of her child in the hopes that something or someone will deliver him from these deadly circumstances. A young woman, a servant to the daughter of Pharaoh, finds the baby in the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter sees this little human being and realizes it's one of the Hebrew children. And as she hears it crying out, she chooses compassion too, thereby also choosing defiance of her father. The young sister Miriam runs over and gets involved. Wouldn't you know it, her mother Jochebed would be the perfect nurse for a baby like that. And so Pharaoh's daughter names the baby Moses, which scholars say is an ambiguous choice. It can sound like the ancient Egyptian name for son, but it can also sound like the Hebrew verb for drawing out from water. This is a story that depends on a mother, a sister, a servant, a princess, each making a hidden choice in their hearts, one saying to themselves, it doesn't have to be the way it is. Biblical scholar Terence Fretheim observes that God doesn't speak in the story of Exodus until much later in the burning bush when Moses is well into adulthood. At first glance, it seems that God is absent from these stories. It's just human beings looking out for one another in Exodus until the swarms of locusts and frogs and darkness and plagues that afflict Pharaoh into letting God's people go. But Fretheim also proposes that God might be at work among the courageous decisions of these women, Shifra and Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, the Egyptian servant girl, Pharaoh's daughter, as they make these hidden choices to resist and defy the king. God chooses in freedom to work with human beings when they do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. We worship the God of hidden choices, who sees and hears resistance to evil and decides to get involved. God, after all, is a storyteller, and whenever she sees evil and injustice, she will find a way to work with those who resolve deep in their hearts that it doesn't have to be the way that it is. Our series on women in Exodus with Princeton Presby's has unfortunately taken on new gravity and urgency since we began with Shifra and Pua last week. Protests in Iran that began with the death of Masa Amini in government detention have swelled into a women-led rejection of Iran's brutal morality police and calls for other reforms. Since last spring, we've seen the courage of women like Marina Vladimirovna Ovsayinkova, a Russian journalist who you may remember burst onto a live broadcast in Russian television with a sign saying, no war. This past week, she fled house arrest in Moscow and landed in Germany and continues her work of condemning the war in Ukraine. Amid one global crisis after another, when it often feels like there is no word from the Lord, is it possible to imagine that God is telling some new story in and through the voices of women who are shouting out, it doesn't have to be the way it is? When it's hard to see good news on the horizon, Exodus 
urges us to remember the stories of women who have said and lived out this truth. When we remember that the God of hidden choices has been faithful to us in the past, we can place our trust in God to provide a surprising, hopeful future. I'll close with a story I've told before at our Breaking Bread worship service on Sunday nights about women who transform their community by saying, it doesn't have to be the way it is. In spring 2013, I traveled to El Salvador with a group of students from Davidson College, and we were there to learn about how Christians lived out their faith during a terrible civil war in the 1980s. One of the places we visited was a small town called Suchitoto. Suchitoto is a beautiful place in the mountains, and its name in the indigenous language Nahuatl means land of birds and flowers. During the war, Suchitoto had been subject to some of the worst abuses of the government, including attacks by soldiers, bombing runs by American-funded warplanes, abduction of citizens by paramilitary groups, it is a place where Catholic priests and lay people, many of them tenant farmers on coffee plantations, endured persecution as they organized and demanded things like the right to vote, meaningful access to public education, economic reforms that would lift most of the population out of subsistence living. Suchitoto carries deep generational trauma and also a long history of witness to human rights. When we were there, we met with a local women's rights group, and they talked about some of the ways that those traumas continued to have an impact on the community that they lived in. At that time, the town was struggling with an increase in incidents of domestic violence. They showed us a home where one of the organizers lived. The group had spray-painted a stencil of block-printed words. In esta casa, queremos una vida libre de violencia hacia las mujeres. In this house, we want a life free from violence against women. It was a sign that this house, these people, this family, had agreed together that they would transform deep generational trauma through a radical commitment to nonviolence. They would not hurt each other, they were committed to being a safe haven to any neighbor fleeing an abusive situation at home. Part of the stenciling was a little drawing of a bird resting on a flowering branch, a symbol, a connection of the ancient name of Suchitoto, land of bird and flowers. Standing there, surrounded by the green mountains of Cuscatlan, my students and I looked as one of the women gestured from her home to other houses on the street. Every few homes, all the way down the lane, families had spray-painted walls that said, En esta casa queremos una vida libre de violencia hacia las mujeres. In this house, we want a life free from violence against women. Birds and flowers. Hope that the way that the world has been is not the way the world has to be. Resurrection hope that the world, for a better future that can transform deep-seated trauma, violence, and despair. It doesn't have to be the way it is. 
That's something we hope our students learn from their experiences in Princeton Presbyterians. Not simply as criticism or constant dismissal, but as an invitation to creative resistance to deadly ways that our world silences and breaks people down. We trust that in Jesus Christ, the God of hidden choices has said, it doesn't have to be the way it is. I am coming soon. I am making all things new. Amen.